Psalm uh, 34 of 19 says that the righteous will have many troubles, but the Lord will deliver them from them all. Now, I think that's one of those verses, one of those phrases that I think is easier for us to read and it's more difficult for us to actually believe it, to actually believe that God will deliver us. Now, we know the first part is true, that we have all kinds of troubles in this life. We all know the kind of troubles that we face throughout the week, throughout our lifetime, and it's not hard to believe. First Peter chapter 1 says that we will have various multifaceted types of troubles. God wasn't pretending or, or alluding that, giving us some kind of illusion that we won't have difficulty. He says we're going to. But the reality is, can we trust him? See, that's the question that we have to ask ourselves. Can I really trust God with all the things that I'm going through in this life? And as we approach life, it's kind of like this ladder here. It's like we go up this ladder of trials, of difficulties in our life, and it seems like with every wave, with every difficulty, we try to figure out with our human reasoning, we try to understand it all, and we get higher and higher and higher and higher off the ground, and we wonder, okay, is God really there? Is God in my life? Is He really working in the way that I desire for Him to work? I think of some of the waves that have come into either my life or into your life, and I think of those things. I think of the unbelieving son or daughter, that unbelieving son or daughter that you raised to walk with the Lord, and yet they're not. And in our human understanding and our human reasoning, we say, well, well, maybe there was something that I should have done. Maybe there was something I could have done better. And instead of, having, uh, instead of having trust and having peace, we have turmoil within our hearts. Or how about the person that's trying to cr climb the ladder in their occupation? They're trying to do everything possible to really make it. And it doesn't seem like they're being noticed. In their human understanding, they say, well, maybe there's something I need to do better in order for me to be noticed. And instead of having just a peace in their heart, and instead of having just this satisfaction that God is pleased with them and has favor on them, there's confusion. Or how about the individual that's kind of trying to figure out their life? Maybe they're younger, they're, they're wanting to get married, they're trying to find out their occupation, they're trying to figure out the college they should go to. And so they're, they have all kinds of things going on because they have no direction. And, and they look at their friends and they see their peers that have all kinds of direction. They're like, what's wrong with me? Maybe in their human understanding, maybe if I was a better student, maybe if God was more pleased with me, then all of a sudden I'd have some direction. I would have a date. They want direction, but they feel like they have none. Or how about the person that says, I just want to have a family. I just want to have a family. And we've tried everything. We've tried everything known to man. We've, we've gone through every medical procedure. And, and in their thinking, they think, well, maybe if, maybe if I was more pleasing to God, if God really, really was happy with me, he would bless me that way. And they want and they long for 
that wisdom of God to direct them to have a healthy family, but they feel like they can't be heard. Or how about the person that financially seems like they're always going two steps forward and three steps back. They're always going to be with a clunker car. They're always going to be in repair. They're always having the hand-me-downs. And they just think in their minds, if I could just have... I know some of you are really nervous right now, aren't you? <laughs> if I could just have more, then it would be the end of my prob problems. You want God's provision for you, but you feel like at the end of the week when you want to give, you have nothing left to give. You're empty. Or maybe it's the individual that says, you know what, <laughs> I want a close relationship with God, but I feel like God is not listening to me. I feel like God is distant from me, and I just, I want, I long for that. I'm going through the systems, I'm praying my prayers, I'm singing the songs, I'm going to church, but I just feel distant from God. And in their mind, they think, well, maybe, maybe God's mad at me. Maybe God is just angry. And what they long for is just the love of God, the maturity that God could give. And see, we climb these ladders in our life, and we get to the top and we think, oh my goodness, I, I am so high up. I, I, I feel like God is not answering me. Can I really, really, truly trust God with every aspect of my life? It's all swirling around. And then all of a sudden, we're still. We're still long enough for us to hear God. And we turn to the scriptures and maybe we read a passage like this in Psalm 37. Tell me if this is not familiar to you. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do it. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn and your justice like the cause of the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. And then when we're silent long enough, we have that come-to-Jesus moment where all of a sudden these words start to sink in. Trust, delight, commit, be still, be patient. And so we hear this. And all of a sudden God starts doing a transformation in our own heart. And we realize, yeah, this ladder I have isn't a ladder of trial. It's something to hold on to. It is an anchor to my soul. It is a sure foundation. Those that are without Christ, they have nothing to cling to. They have nothing to hold on. And we realize that God is absolutely true. And that, that child of mine is God's child. That career of mine and the approval I seek it's God's career, and He will give approval. That direction that I need in my life, He'll give it. That child that I want, that family that I want, He'll give it. Maybe not in the way that I thought, but He'll give it to us. He'll take care of us if I trust in Him. The finances that I have, 
If I do it according to God's way, God's design, all of a sudden I realize there's enough to give and to live. In regards to my relationship with Him, all I have to do is draw near to Him, and He draws near to me. Let me ask you, what made the difference between this being a ladder of trials and an anchor to my soul? The difference is my trust in God. Are you trusting Sometimes it's hard to be still before God, isn't it? But I think it's when we're still before God that we start to understand the message that God has for each and every one of us. If you turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3, we're continuing our summer series, wisdom series, as we're going through Proverbs. And we're going to be hitting Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Now, as we're going to be looking at Proverbs 3, 1 to 12, really what we have here is a rich poem that's in the midst of Proverbs. You may not have known it to be a poem, but it was actually written uh, to, in two verse stanzas. Um, and so we have one and two, three and four, and so forth, up through 12. So we have six stanzas of this poem. And in each one of these stanzas, there is basically a twofold command in each of the stanzas with a reward that God says, if you do these things, if you obey my commands, if you take my commands and apply them to your life, then here's what I'm going to do. I am going to richly reward you. And it is an incredible passage, an incredible promise when we take a look at this passage. And what God is trying to do interwoven through this uh, poem is get our focus and our trust completely on Christ, for us to get our focus on God. And he's not giving us arbitrary type of rules, but he is giving us guidance that will enrich our lives, and that's what he desires for, for to happen in our life. God is very clear in this poem. When we trust his truth, when we trust his leadership, when we trust his heart, his wisdom, his honor, his correction, then God will give us our reward to be our own. He will give us our own peace, our own favor, our own guidance, our own health, our own provision, and our own maturity. And so this is what God wants to do in each of our lives. So let's, let's ask God to really do something special in, in his word. So let's open it up to chapter 3, and we're going to take a look at the first stanza. And the first stanza reads this, verses 1 and 2. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace will be added to you. Now, in short, his command is around his truth. And our reward is our peace that he wants to give us. Now, the first twofold command is a negative and a positive. Take note of that. It's basically saying the same thing. It's directing us towards truth. He says, do not forget my teaching, which is God's truth, and let, not your, and let your heart keep my commands, which is God's truth. 
So Solomon is actually continuing in this poem what he had talked about in chapter 2 about his son adhering to the wisdom and the truth of God's word that Solomon has been trying to teach him. God has been using Solomon as the vessel of teaching this to his son, but it's really God's truth, God's wisdom that he is relaying to his son. And he is saying, I want you to do this. I want you to hold on to truth. But he identifies in this first negative something that we all have problems with. We will always have this problem, this side of heaven, and that is forgetfulness. Anybody have trouble with forgetfulness? I got to tell you, forgetfulness drives me crazy. I'll work on work, I'll work on memorizing names. And just when I need the name at the right time, I forget and say the wrong name. Oh, that ticks me off. You know, I'll memorize a Bible verse and I'm just trying to recall it. It's at the tip of my tongue, but I can't give it. You, you memorize answers for a test and you come to the test and what happened? Blank. I hate that. Or your wife says, hey, can you pick up one thing on your way home? I need you to do one thing and one thing only. Just pick this one thing up and at the end of work, you drive home, you get home, and you're not with that one thing. You forgot. And you know you're in the doghouse. You know your wife's going to say, oh, you're just like every other guy. I'm telling you, why do you forget the thing I give you one thing to do not that my wife sounds like that <laughs> but maybe your wife does but not mine no no see what what Solomon is identifying is the forgetfulness of their tendency of humans but he is trying to go beyond just memory exercises he is saying it has to go deep when it's in your heart, son, when it's in your soul, when you apply God's truth on the deepest level of your being, then you will obey his command. You will trust that command and it will guide you. Now notice what the reward is. He says, for length of days and years of life and peace, they will be added to you. Now the word peace here could also be translated prosperity. So what is Solomon promising his son? He is promising longevity and he is promising prosperity. Now let's understand that. The idea of longevity here speaks to the quality of years that we have on this earth. What an incredible promise here. In other words, when we apply God's truth to our daily life and we exercise that, then we enter in under God's protection, His covering, and so God is going to allow us to have a greater quality of life. Our days will be more productive. Our money will go further. Our ministry will be more impactful because we are living out the truth and trusting in that truth. But he'll also give us peace slash prosperity. The word that's used there is shalom. It is a, a general word that basically means wholeness, health, harmony. Now, what we gather from this passage is that the only thing that can hinder this harmony and health and wholeness, this peace and prosperity, is our disobedience to God's truth. 
if we're not trusting it. See, this puts the responsibility squarely upon us. So here's the, the first question from the first stanza. Are you enjoying God's peace? If you're living in turmoil, if you have no peace, if you have no certainty, then you need to come under God's protection. And it starts by believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He wants a loving relationship with you. He wants to know you personally. You can have that relationship. Let's go to the second stanza. The second stanza is in verse 3 and 4. It says this, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart so that you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Now, in summary, it's ba he's basically saying trust in God's leadership. And I'll tell you how in a minute. But the re result will be favor of God. We will receive favor uh, before God and before man. See, the second twofold command is, is to show, for us to show, steadfast love and faithfulness. There it is. Steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, Solomon gives two visuals. He says, I want you to bind them around your neck. In other words, they should be there for everybody to see. And I want you to put them on your heart. Now, the word love here means to show a deep, deep, loyal commitment to our God because of what he has done for us. The word faithfulness shows our dependability. We are to be dependable to God. He has to be, he, God wants us to, wants it so that he can count on us out of our love and loyalty to him because we trust him. Now he says it's for everybody to see. You are to bind it around your neck. Now please know that Solomon is asking of his son what God first demonstrated to Solomon. See, God had demonstrated first steadfast love and faithfulness, and Solomon knew it. Solomon knew it. He knew the history of the Jewish people. He knew that when the people had messed up and Moses had broken the Ten Commandments uh, because they broke God's commandment, and then God sent Moses up on the hill to get the commandments again, and he hid Moses in the cleft of the rock. And as God passed by Moses in renewing his commitment to them, Solomon knew this story. He knew that God proclaimed to Moses his steadfast love and faithfulness. This is what he said. The Lord, the Lord, a God of mercy and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And just as Moses had two tablets of stone to remind the people that God was faithful with all the commands written on him as he went down to show them to the people, now Solomon is saying to his son, write these commands on your heart. Let it be lived out in your life so that when people see you, they see the, on the tablets of your life these commands that are being lived out that you are steadfast fast in love with God, that you are faithful, and that God can count on you. See, this is what Solomon is trying to get across to his son. This is what we need to learn today. But look at the reward. He says, you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Now, I want you to know this is an incredible promise. Doesn't it make sense 
doesn't it make sense that when we are faithful in showing our loyalty and our love for God, that others will take note of that? Don't you think that when we are faithful to God, it is going to show in the quality of work that we do? Don't you think that our neighbors will see the kind of people that we are when we are showing that steadfast love for God? In all reality, this is the way that we climb the corporate ladder. This is the way we trust in God first. My friends, if you have a tyrant boss who you can never please, here's what you do. You in your mind have to settle first and for all that you are working for God himself. And that if God is pleased and your boss is not pleased, guess who has the wrong priorities? Here's the deal. You maintain your standing with God and God will maintain your standing with men. He will do it every time. Here's the question. Do you see your favor increasing with God and man? Do you see your favor increasing? We go to the third stanza, verses uh, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your straight your paths. Now, what we see here is we're really seeing the heart of God. When he says, trust in God, don't lean on your understanding, but lean on him. What what we're seeing is the heart of God that you can trust the heart of God. And what God promises us is he's going to give us the guidance that we need. This command, though, of trusting in God and leaning on his understanding, not ours, it really brings a little dilemma for us. And here's the dilemma. We often say that we're trusting God, but then when we go through life, we're trying to figure it out and muscle it out ourselves, aren't we? We're trying to muscle it out ourselves. And really, I think the issue here is an issue of faith. Do we really feel that God is reliable? I mean, I can't see God, but I can feel him. Is he really reliable? Can I really trust him with every aspect of my life? And this is when we need one of those divine perspective moments. I hope you can have that right now. Because what we realize, what we should realize, is that God is incomprehensibly trustworthy. Now that may seem to conflict with each other, those two words. He is incomprehensibly trustworthy. Listen to these two verses, these two passages, and let's get a greater perspective. In Isaiah 55, God says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my way, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are of the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thought higher than your thoughts. He's incomprehensibly trustworthy. Listen to Romans 11. Paul writes this after giving a whole thesis on what the gospel is all about. And Paul is so confounded in his mind on the complexity and the, the, the brilliance of God. He says this, Oh, the depth 
of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, unfathomable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, that it may be paid back to him again? For from him, and to him, and through him are all things. Praise God. See, God is always incomprehensibly trustworthy. How can he handle my problems? Can he handle my problems? Absolutely. It's kind of like asking if Einstein could help me balance my checkbook. God is incredible all the time. Now here's our reward. Our reward when we trust and lean on him is that he will make straight your paths. You know what that means? It means that God will remove the obstacles as he brings you to complete the goal that he has for you. We know in Hebrews that he says we're to run the race marked out for us. He has a race for every believer in Jesus Christ. It's marked out for us. And if it's God's will, he will remove the obstacles. If you're pursuing another career or you have a major decision and you see one obstacle after another obstacle after another, then here's my advice to you. Wait. Let God remove the obstacles because he will open the way for you because that's what he does for his children. This doesn't mean that our future will be problem free, but it means that as we go through the problems, God will guide us through them every step of the way. Let me ask you, can you see how God is giving you guidance in your life? What reward to know that God gives us that guidance. Let's go to the fourth stanza. It says in verse 7, Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Now this fourth command is dealing with trusting in God's wisdom and it will result in our health. Now follow this. The twofold command is trust in God's wisdom with fear. Wisdom with fear. Now the command is dealing with the source of wisdom that he wanted his, Solomon wanted his son to gravitate towards. You see it through this chapter. You see it throughout the whole book. Solomon's constantly saying, son, go towards wisdom, not towards the way of the world. Go towards wisdom, God's truth, not the way of human understanding. Because this is going to lead you to the, in the wrong way, and this is going to lead you in the right way. Listen to Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice, Solomon saying to his son, go, don't go towards the fool, but go towards the wise. Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but there it ends in death. You're going the wrong direction, son. Don't go that way. Proverbs 14, 15, the simple believes everything, but the prudent man gives thought to his steps. What is he trying to say? That we are to go towards wisdom because it will always protect us. Now listen. He says it will protect us. Do we believe that? Will it provide for us? Now, interestingly, Solomon says to his son, guess what it will do for you? It will give you health. It will be, it's specifically, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So here's my question. How is it that this reward could be true in my life? 
How is it that if I listen to God, it will actually bring health to me? Well, actually, health science and the Word of God go hand in hand here. You read books on physical exercise and eating right and not overindulging and all those kind of things. Well, though they're saying these things because it's true and it aligns itself with God's Word. We're told in God's Word that when we live within boundaries, that stress is released. Ephesians 5 says, be wise in the way that you live. Live and take advantage of the good opportunities that are before you. Don't live as foolish people. So we can live foolishly outside of boundaries. When we're living within boundaries, we have less stress. Guess what that does for our health? Doctors say that if I am living less with less stress, it increases my health. How about when we apply it to our bodies? In terms of our body being a temple, 1 Corinthians 6 says this, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, that he lives within us, and that we are to treat it in such way. So when we have poor habits, when we are overeating, when we are smoking tobacco, when we're excessive in drinking, when we're overworking, all these things go against our health. They go against our health. And so what God wants is a balance. And what we find in the scripture is the teaching of moderation. And so this lends to health. My friends, when we apply God's truth, it will make us a healthier individual. Now here's the conclusion. If we're living by God's wisdom, it will show in our health. Yikes. Here's the question we don't want to ask, but we need to. Does your health show that you're living biblically? That's a hard question. Because we live in a society of, of, of overextending ourselves in so many areas. We move on. Verse 9 and 10. I wish I could say the message gets lighter, but listen to these verses. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, in this principle, he's saying, I want you to honor. That's the command. I want you to honor. And the result is I am going to give you provision. Now, the fifth twofold command here is honor involves honor and first fruits. Now, we don't understand the idea of first fruits. I'll explain that. But look at the word honor because it's the most important word here. The word honor means to show glory and value to God. It means to show glory and value to God. Solomon is saying to his son that the way a true follower of God shows honor to God is by giving of their wealth, specifically of the first fruits of their produce. Now, we don't understand the terminology first fruits because it's not within our culture. But within the Jewish culture, they completely understood this because what they were to do by God's instruction is that they were to bring the best of their produce when it was harvest time. When it was payday for them, they brought first and foremost the best. 
They didn't divvy it up to the family. They didn't figure out how much they were going to live on throughout the year and then give God. No, no, no. God said, first fruits, I want you to give of me the first fruits. Now get this. Now, if you don't believe it, look at Leviticus chapter 23. It will give you verification of that. But get this, how much they brought before the Lord was up to the individual. It was a free will offering. When their hearts were right, and this is what we see historically of the Jewish people, when their hearts were right, man, they brought liberally to do the work of God. But when their hearts were in the wrong place, then they ended up cheating God. Malachi chapter 1 says this, Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. In other words, our giving and the heart of our giving can either insult God or it can ex exalt God. It all depends upon our heart in the giving. Now, please note that God is the giver of first fruits. He gives us the example. We're told that in Corinthians that God gave us the first fruit of his resurrected son, Jesus Christ. It says this, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, the most important thing that Solomon is teaching his son is this, that giving our best from our wealth clearly shows God our honor for him. And in all reality, this summarizes what New Testament giving is all about. See, in the Old Testament, there was tithes and there was offerings. The tithes was really kind of a tax. There was different tithes that were given. Actually, they gave about 23.3% of everything they brought in for a tax to keep things running. Kind of sounds like what our government does, except our government wants to constantly bring, take that up a little bit. So that's what it was. But the offerings were often free will, and this first fruit was a free will, and this is what New Testament giving is all about. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and you will understand, first of all, it was a free will, it's a free will offering. It says, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. If you study that passage, we don't have time now, you will see that it should be generous, it should be our first and our best. It should be sacrificial. And it should reflect our deep honor and love for God. Now, our reward is God's gracious provision back to us. Take a look at verse 10. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, he is writing to an agrarian society. In other words, they're a farming society. And this promise to them, a bunch of farmers, is that this is an incredible promise. My barns are going to be filled up. My vats are going to be overflowing with wine. That means I get to live throughout the winter. That means I get to live another year. I get to feed my family. It means I get to make an income. Now, later on in the book of Malachi, God comes around to this same principle that he rewards sacrificial giving. 
He says this in Malachi chapter 3. He says, listen, I want you to know, after he rebuked them on their disobedience and their poor sacrifices of offerings, he says, test me in this. The only time in Scripture that I see God saying, test me, he says here, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven, heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. And then he goes on, he says, I will make your crops abundant. I will make your stuff last longer because I love your heart. Now let me ask you something. Why does God want us to give us, give him our first fruits? Does God really need anything from us? My friends, it reflects our trust in God. And I know, I know sometimes we get so much other mixed up because we've had bad experiences with churches. We've had bad experiences with people abusing money. I understand that. But somewhere along the line, you've got to get to a place and be in a ministry where you can trust. My friends, we have open books here at Mission View because it's not our money. It's God's money. We want you to know you can examine it at any time. At any time. But it's all about trust. And what God wants, He wants us to honor Him. And He wants us not just to honor, us, honor Him with the, with the money we have, but the time we have, the talents we have. We're to give it all to God and have open hands and say, God, it's all yours. I'm yours. Use me as you want. Here's the question. Does your giving reflect your gratitude for all the blessings that God has poured into your life? And here's the final stanza of this poem, verse 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. See, his instruction here is one of correction. <clears throat> And what he wants to produce is maturity. The last twofold command is, is that we are to welcome God's discipline and reproof. Solomon is basically letting his son know that God sometimes will physically punish us, that sometimes God will verbally correct us. And when this happens, we need to trust God through the process of him taking us through discipline. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness, what's right, and peace for those who have been trained by it. The fact is, we can be so very proud, so very stubborn, so very obstinate, even as believers in Christ, because we, even though we've been crucified, we still have this flesh that goes against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and we're in opposition to one another. They're in opposition, this war within, so that we do not do what we please. And so God has to discipline us. He has to do that because he loves us and we are his sons. And when that happens, we have a harvest of righteousness. We have a harvest of peace. And my friends, that affects our marriages. That affects all of our relationships. Here's the question. What is God doing to bring you to a place of maturity? Because that's the reward for us. 
He wants to mature us. It's implied. So we look at this passage, and some could say, you know what, Steve? Does everyone who obeys God's command really live a long and peaceful life? Are they always going to be respected? <clears throat> Is our path always straight and clear? Will, will I always have good health? Will I really have plenty? <clears throat> and will I always grow in maturity with the Father? The fatalist would say, no, God is lying. The skeptic would say, God has given you a false hope. The liberal theologian would say, well, not everything in the Bible is true. But a true Christ follower will say, yes, God's promises are always true. He blesses obedience, whether we understand the nature of that blessing or not. And my friends, we know that at times that these promises are filled in this life. But we also know that it's perfectly acceptable for God to fulfill them in eternity. We learn not to set our hearts on the here and now and on our circumstances, but on the life that is yet to come. How can one say that God cannot fulfill his promises when this is only chapter one of the novel? There is many more chapters after death, and God is in control. And what God wants is he wants us to trust him. He wants us to look backwards and see the track record of faithfulness in our life. Miracle after miracle after miracle that he has done with each and every one of us. And he says, I have done it in the past. I am doing it now, and I will do it in the future. Will you trust me? And when we do, we will obey his word and we will enjoy the reward. As we conclude, I'm going to have Evan come up now. And I want us to conclude in two ways. We're going to have our offering and it is an act of worship that we get to participate in. And we're also going to continue to worship God in song. And as Evan leads us in just a word of prayer for our offering, would you just be thankful for God's provision? Would you think about God's provision? But then when we sing the songs that we're going to sing, the last two songs, I want you just to worship with all your heart in gratefulness that we can trust in our God.